Amen. Amen. <laughs> God is so good. You know, if, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're missing out. Because when I signed on with Him, it's been a wild ride ever since. I never thought I'd ever leave town, much less go to Africa. But you know, the places and the things that, that, that God will cause you to do, your love for Him, it's amazing. And what happens is when we get out of our comfort zone, we recognize that our comfort zone gets a little bigger. And you know, He's created a wonderful world. And um, you know, it's a, it's a blessing to be able to go, it's a blessing to be able to equip other believers to be able to teach others about our great God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, this morning we're going to continue on in our study in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it, um, you know, for, for me it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to preach on a lot of different topics uh, through this sermon. And, um, you know, I, I hope that, that you have gained as much in your spiritual life as I have in, in being able to preach through this. But, you know, when, when we talk about winning over worry, um, worry is something that, that we're going to talk about today. And, you know, um, when I was a kid, uh, I used to laugh and, and I enjoyed a, a goofy, silly magazine called The Mad Magazine. And uh, the main cartoon character was a guy named Alfred E. Newman. And um, I think there's a picture of him. Yeah, there he is. Um, and, and his famous phrase was, what, me worry? What, me worry? I think that's, that's huge because um, he was, the, you know, the classic knucklehead, if you will. And I'm not talking about somebody. I'm talking about somebody that was created by somebody else, okay? So it's not like I'm, I'm calling somebody else a knucklehead here. But um, this guy was really, truly a knucklehead. But his famous motto was, what, me worry? And, and he is probably the only person in the world without a care. As a matter of fact, anxiety is one of the most widespread emotions that we see in our society today. I mean, everything moves at warp speed. Everything is moving so fast, you never know where you're going to end up. And some of the things that we worry about are kind of minor. I mean, I worry about whether my socks match. I think they do this morning, hopefully. You know, sometimes I get a little anxious when I drive on 5th Street and I hit my third red light in a row. I mean, we get anxious over silly things that are, that are really not that important. I mean, if you have a job, you worry about losing it. If you don't lose it, you inflation will devour it. Nothing in life is certain. And it always seems safest to expect the worst. Whether you worry a little or a lot, it can have a drastic impact on your life. See, the majority of our illnesses are either caused or originated by our own anxiety. The modern badge of success is a raging ulcer. I mean, if you don't have an ulcer, you're not trying hard enough. But you know, a lot of people suffer from what we call nerves. They're nerves. But it really has nothing to do with our nervous system. It's all due to anxiety. Today, more than 40 million adults in the United States suffer from anxiety. 
And it's the most common form of mental illness in the United States, anxiety. Overdose deaths involving benzodiazepines such as Xanax, Librium, Valium, uh, Ativian. Drugs commonly used to treat anxiety and phobias and, and panic attacks and seizures and insomnia. They've quadrupled between 2002 and 2015. That's according to the National Institute for Drug Abuse. The trend is being fueled by a 67% rise in prescriptions. And the market for benzos, those benzodiazepines as they're called, they're expected to reach $3.8 billion in 2020. So it's, it's not showing any signs of slowing down. See, I realize that some of these facts hit a little close to home for some of us and others of us. Well, you may be in the same boat. You may not, you may not be able to, you know, you may be, be filled with anxiety about everything. But, you know, Jesus Christ, in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he prohibits worrying. He prohibits worrying. Now, now that figures because... He says, don't do just about everything we are inclined to do. I mean, because our flesh has a bent away from God and towards the enemy. And, and so we want to do things our own way. And the things that he tells us not to do are the things we are inclined to do. But it's interesting to me how much space he gives to worry. In the Sermon on the Mount, adultery gets three verses. Murder and love both get five, but worrying gets nine whole verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Anything that gets that much attention, I think we need to study a little more closely. I mean, quite a few years ago, there was a song repeated the words, don't worry, be happy. Kind of a feel-good kind of song, you know, don't worry, be happy. I'm not going to sing it. But probably the reason that that song was so popular was because it represented a desire for so many people to win over the worries of life. To be done with them. To, to not have to worry about those things that, that consume us. But I want to read in, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. I'm going to read down through verse 34. If you have your, your scripture, if you would follow along with me. Verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, they do not spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon... In all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, 
Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough, enough trouble of its own. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. And I thank you for how you took the time to teach, Father, about who God is and, and what he is about. Father, help us through your Holy Spirit to internalize these words. Father, that truly we could trust you more. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See, Jesus knew that his followers uh, would face constant anxiety. I mean, he spoke about the human needs in this Sermon on the Mount. Anxiety is a constant problem, even for Christians. We get anxious about stuff. We don't know how things are going to work out. We worry about it. Jesus said three times in, this, in these nine verses, verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34, he said, do not worry, or do not be worried. Don't worry. See, the kind of anxiety that Jesus is talking about is a little more serious. I mean, Jesus mentioned various areas of, of, of anxiety, and he, he began his discussion by talking about worry, by mentioning some common experiences that I want to say everyone can relate to. He said, when he put his finger smack dab on the middle of it, he said, don't be anxious, don't be worried about your life. See, that self-centered, egocentric, the things that we worry about Mostly frivolous concerns lie at the heart of most of our worries. It's selfish things. Things dealing with us. What ifs? What if I get up in front of everybody and my socks don't match? Who cares? You're not here to see my socks. You're to hear a word from the Lord. To me, it's, it's those kind of things, though. We dwell on those things that are so frivolous that really don't matter. And it's because of our selfishness, our own self-centeredness. The kind of anxiety Jesus is talking about is more serious. He moved on to the practical areas of living. He spoke about food and clothing. In verse 25, he gives us the trinity of cares. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Folks, he's not talking about menus. And he's not talking about the color of your socks. It's about having enough to eat. It's about having clothes on your back. See, we are so blessed. We are so spoiled. We don't even realize how much we have. We need 
people that don't have running water so that we can see what that looks like and visualize that and recognize just how blessed we are. See, despite all of our prosperity, millions still worry about the necessities of life. We spend endless energy worrying about the necessities of life. Of course, other areas of of worry were not mentioned by Jesus. But I think that a great exercise for each one of us would be to sit down and to name and write down the areas that we are anxious about and then read what Jesus says about worry in this passage. See, our problem is is that we consider worry a respectable sin. See, we know that we're not supposed to commit murder. We know that we're not supposed to commit adultery or lie or cheat or steal, or at least we don't admit to that we do. But we all admit to one another that we worry. And maybe we do so because... We don't realize what a vital spiritual issue it is. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? As we think about what we worry about. I mean, Matthew Henry, he reminds us that Jesus speaks to his disciples over and over about the issue of worry. And he's deeply concerned about worry because worry teaches, according to Jesus... It is a sign that our treasure is in the wrong place. See, worry can be traced to three factors in our lives. First, worry can be traced to unbelief. Somehow we think that God will not provide for us. And so we worry about it. We worry about if we're going to have enough money to cover the month. We worry if we're going to have enough food to eat. We worry about what we're going to wear. We worry about all of these necessities of life that Jesus told us we don't have to worry about them. But somehow we think that's respectable. Well, I'm worried because I'm not going to be able to make my house payment. Work as hard as you can. Pray as hard as you can. And somewhere in the middle, God is going to meet you. See, it's this unbelief that causes us to worry. That somehow we think that that God is not going to provide. That somehow God is not going to do that. We don't believe God will provide for us. And so we worry about it. What if I don't get what I need? What if I don't get everything I want? Folks, the vast majority of us, our needs are met. Oh, there may be some financial wants and other things that we're working on and working through, but our needs are basically met. If you live in America, your needs are basically met. But see, that's where the problem comes in because then we don't have to trust God. Worry can also... Be traced to a lack of submission to his lordship. 
We know the things that the Holy Spirit is nudging us to do, putting on our heart that we're supposed to do. And many times we don't want to submit to that. Maybe he said, I want you to go. Maybe he said, I want you to witness. Maybe he said, I want you to be a part and be a blessing in this person's life. And you know what? We said, I'm not going to do that. And we don't submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We want to be in control of our lives. I guarantee you, when you fly into Africa, you are no longer in control. Someone else is in control. Been there. Know what I'm going back for. But your day will not go according to the way you plan it because you're not in control. See, we want control in our lives and we know that we're not in control but we're trying as hard as we can to be in control of our lives so we worry about the gap between what we're trying to do and what we're sure, not sure we will be able to accomplish. And so that, that intermediate area we worry about and we think, man, what, what if? What if? Frankly, worry can also be traced back to worldliness. We want to depend on the world rather than depending on our Heavenly Father. We see our, our desires are set on the wrong things. Things that we know may, we may not obtain rather than set on the things <laughs> that we cannot lose if we will set our hearts on them. With eternity before you, with heaven before you, why would you not set your treasure on heaven? Because everything that you can see with your eyes is temporary. The things that matter are the things that are eternal. Like the salvation of our souls. Like the relationships that we have with one another. That's really all we're taking to heaven with us. Not this earthly tent. Not this earthly building. Nothing that we can see. But folks, the world has, has lulled us into the deception that this world is all there is. And so we hang on to it and we grasp onto it. And when we see it slipping out of our hands, we are anxious and we worry about it. Jesus teaches us here that worry is a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual issue. See, he exposed the futility of anxiety. Worry constitutes a prominent activity. <laughs> we spend a lot of time worrying. But it's very unproductive time. It produces little profitable results. See, Jesus emphasized that becoming engrossed in anxiety is unproductive. Look at verse 27. He says, For who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? The word life there either means your lifespan or your stature in height. I mean, really, I wish I could add about another 18 inches. Then I could use a big pulpit. Whatever it means, the point is clear 
that we can't add anything to our height and we can't add anything to our length of years. Worry is not only unproductive, but it's also unnecessary. I mean, our Heavenly Father knows what His children need. As a parent, don't you know kind of what your children need? You have a good idea of what they need? And as a parent, as a good parent, you would provide what their needs are? I mean, God is our Heavenly Father, the ultimate Father, the good, good Father that can provide for our needs, and He does provide for our needs. And so any worry that we spend about our needs is unproductive and, and really just um, unnecessary. I mean, I would say to you this morning that wor- worry is also unworthy because it portrays a false view of human existence. I mean, the Bible says that God has created each of us, but it's also Him that sustains us. I mean, He's the one who decides when it's time for you to go home. Not the doctors, not something else. He's the one who decides. See, this means He provides for us everything we need for life. And our body is obviously more important than the clothes that cover it. Our life is more important than the food that nourishes it. Well, if God takes care of what's really important, why do we doubt when it comes to minor things? Why is it we don't trust Him with the small stuff? We trust Him with our eternity we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work that he did on the cross why wouldn't we trust him with the food on our table why wouldn't we trust him with the gas in my car why wouldn't we trust him with the the stuff that he knows we need maybe we have not because we ask not maybe we have not because we're not trusting him I mean, if, if one of my, my, my children, when they were younger, they, they wouldn't trust me. They would just keep butting their head against the wall trying to get what they wanted. And I could say, there's an easier way, son. Why don't you ask? Maybe I'll help you. And we'll see that this happens. See, Jesus prescribed therapeutic remedies for anxiety. He didn't... He didn't just expose the problem of worry and describe the futility. He sought to help provide remedies for the worry. First here, we we, we know that we should depend on God. The providence of God. What is your faith? What is your trust in? I hope it's not in our society. I hope it's not in our government. I hope it's not in something that is, is fleeting, like we talked about money, how, how quickly that can disappear. We should depend on the providence of God. Matthew 26 says, look at the birds of the air. He referred to the birds. In verse 28, he talks about the lilies of the field. They don't sow their own garments. They don't spin. But man, even Solomon in all of his glory didn't wear anything quite like those, those lilies of the field. They're so beautiful. And if God takes care to clothe them, won't he do the same for his children? He takes care of us. Second, 
to avoid anxiety, we should put the kingdom of God first. This is where we get into trouble. Because we want our kingdom first rather than his kingdom. We want to do what we want, not what he wants. See, if we put his kingdom first, then we don't need to be overly concerned about the future. Yeah, there may be some uncertain days coming, but I know how it all ends. I've read the book. I know how it ends. And my God, my Lord, my King wins. So why would I worry? And this is what he says. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Thirdly, he says we should live one day at a time. That's what Matthew 34, 634 says. One day at a time. It's foolish to compound today's problems by worrying about tomorrow's problems. Whenever we worry, we are upset in the present about something that may happen in the future. It may happen, it may not happen. (laughs) You know, one of our stranger presidents was Calvin Coolidge. One reason he was strange was because he seemed to never worry. When someone asked him why he was so unconcerned about problems, this is what he said. He said, life is like standing on a road with ten driverless cars coming toward you. If you wait long enough, nine of them will end up in the ditch before they ever get to you. That still leaves one car, but I'd rather face one than ten. It's just not sensible to worry. I mean, think about it. What, if what you fear doesn't happen, then you've worried for nothing. If it does happen, you've worried twice instead of once. Because anxiety always doubles your trouble. When you worry about it, you're turning it over and over in your mind and in your heart. And you know what's not going on in your mind and your heart? His kingdom and his righteousness. That's why it's dangerous. It takes us off of what we should be focused on and onto the cares of this world. Let me just land this plane and sum this all up. Worry is the opposite of faith. Worry is the opposite of faith. Faith is trust and confidence in God's ability. He gave his son. We put our faith and trust in him, trusting our entire eternity to him. Because we put our trust and confidence in God, in his name, in who he is, and what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. In each of these cases, the disciples forgot what God was capable of doing. They forgot he is the almighty commander. He is the almighty creator. And whenever you worry, it means that you don't think God is up to handling your problems and or your needs. That's why I say worry is the opposite of faith. Because if you trust God, if you put your life in his hands, then you don't have the occasion to worry. The only thing worry, worth, the only thing in life worth worrying about is your relationship with God. 
In verse 33, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Folks, we should seek God. We should seek him. Specifically, we should seek his kingdom and his righteousness. See, God's kingdom is wherever Jesus is in charge. God's kingdom is wherever Jesus is in charge. It could be in the millennium that's to come. It could be also refer to the role of Christ in our lives right here, right now. Because when you accept Christ as your Savior, you enter into his kingdom at that moment. Accepting Christ as your Savior and Lord establishes your relationship with God. You also need to maintain it, and that's where God's righteousness comes in. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we should seek to do God's will for our lives. Not our will. His will. Don't worry about the failings of the past. Or don't worry about the sin you may commit next week. Focus on how you are living today. Right now. Are you trusting God? Are you following Jesus? See the singers they can sing and they can tell us don't worry be happy. Our Savior also tells us not to worry. And he can also help us with our cares. In just a moment we're going we're gonna to be transitioning toward a time of communion. I'm going to ask our, our praise team to come. You know, so many of us are content only when we've worried about everything. But Christ tells us that we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow. Rather, we are to live trusting God, trusting in Him for our future. So many of us announce that we trust God, but we worry about tomorrow anyway. Let me give you just a, a quick example here. Many of you probably remember Indiana Jones, all those movies that they, he made about that, and, you know, snakes and Nazis and uh, giant boulders, all these things come at him, and He's just got these constant problems. You never know what's going to happen next to him. In one scene in particular, the crowd parts and there's a guy that's wrapped all around his face and he's got this big scimitar and he's waving it around and you think, oh, Indy's going to die right here, right now. And he sees this, he kind of rolls his eyes, he pulls his gun out and he shoots the guy. And you think, oh man, he avoided another one. And it's like, how does he do that? How does he, how does he remain so calm? How does he just take on life like that? I'll tell you how. Harrison Ford read the script. <laughs> he knew what was going to happen. Communion celebrates Christ's death. If this were a movie... This would, you'd think this would be the last scene. But the script was written before time began. 
We even have a partial copy in the words of the prophets of the Old Testament. Death looked invincible. Death looked horrible. But turn the page. There's the resurrection. It's in there just like God wrote it. So as you take of the cup this morning, and as you take of the bread, remember. Remember the sacrifice that was made that made Easter possible. Remember that this happened according to God's script, His plan. He's the one who wrote the plan. Remember just who's in charge of all of it. And brothers and sisters, don't fear death. The script says, you rise too. Remember that. I'm going to ask those that are going to help with the Lord's Supper if they would come now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul recounts and he says this, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Loving Father, we thank you. We thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for his sacrifice on Calvary for us. And Father, we didn't deserve it. And Father, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we can't even imagine that kind of love. That when we were despicable, when we were undeserving, when we were ugly in our sin, that Christ loved us so much that he gave his life so that we would be reconciled to you. Father, I pray that we never take light of that. That, Father, we would remember how costly his broken body was. And, Father, we are grateful for that kind of amazing grace that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name that we pray. He said, take and eat. said also in the same way he took the cup and after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me loving father we thank you for the Lord Jesus and the blood that covers our sins we thank you father for making us one with you that we are covered with his righteousness and not our own. Father, we remember and we proclaim his death as we partake in the the broken body and the shed blood. We proclaim his death, Father. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. We can't even imagine, Father, how much you love us. But, Father, we're starting to get it. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. I pray that you would guide us in Jesus' name. He said, drink.
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns.